Lives being changed. I thank God for that. <clears throat> All right. Am I supposed to tell you to sit down? Are we supposed to read the Bible first? What's what's next? Luke chapter five. <clears throat> We're gonna go to Luke chapter five. And I'm excited to be here. Uh, this we have three services here, right? And so I got to pay attention to some things I'm not accustomed to paying attention to, like time. So uh, I got to get y'all seated so I can see that clock back there. I'm already nervous. All right. <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll hopefully we'll reminisce a little bit before we read the text. I, I'll just reminisce for maybe a few minutes here. 23 years ago, we started with 28 people in the Coleman Civic Center. And I'll tell you what, I've done a lot of dumb things in my life, and there's more to come, I'm sure. But the stupidest thing I've ever done, or one of them, was trying to start a church in December. I don't know, I don't know what I was thinking, except that I just didn't want to wait anymore. I, that's all I could think. I just couldn't stand to wait any longer. And so we started with 28 people, uh, and that was, there was a lot of work went into getting 28 people there on that first Sunday. And uh, then the second Sunday, we had 21 and then the third Sunday, we had 17. We were rolling into Christmas. And uh, so I, I wrote a little book, Honey, I Shrunk the Church. Amen. <laughs> so, but then we, we, we put the hammer down after that, and, and a lot of wonderful things happened through the years. And, and I'll never forget when we, we moved into that first building down here somewhere, The Rock. All right? We moved in that building. It was like Taj Mahal when we moved in there. I mean, it is honestly... It was like we had moved into, uh, uh, like we moved into a stadium. I was so excited about it, and you know we've seen people saved all along, just about every week from then till right now, uh, because of this work. I think that's a wonderful thing, don't you? Amen. That's a wonderful thing, and uh, so let's read the text. And by the way, I, I I wondered what what to preach. What should I preach? What would be a good thing to preach? And Wrestled around and wrestled around and wrestled around. And, uh, and then I thought, why not just preach from the first text? <clears throat> so this is the text I preached from 23 years ago in that first service on December the 8th, I think it was, uh, 1991. Not the same sermon. Don't know. I, I probably wouldn't want to preach that again. But <laughs> the text is awesome. The sermon was bad. All right. Luke chapter 5 and verse 12. And it came to pass, when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy. Full of leprosy. See that? Who, seeing Jesus, fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. And he charged him to tell no man, but go and show thyself to the priest and offer for thy cleansing according to Moses, according as Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. But so much the more went there a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. I want to talk about this man full of leprosy. Talk about full of leprosy full of hope. Look at what God can do and will do for the sinner. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray for help this morning. <clears throat> we ask you to work in our hearts and to encourage us <clears throat> from the scripture. This is a really impressive and exciting group of people today. My heart is overflowing with joy and gratitude for your grace. Lord, we pray that you'll help us today 
and people could be helped and encouraged. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Is there anything worse than being left out of something that you wanted to be a part of? Isn't that a, isn't that a horrible feeling? And here in our story, of course, we have the ultimate example of a person who is completely left out. He's, he's outside his culture, living outside the groups that he would like to be a part of. <clears throat> I think about when I was a kid. <clears throat> Almost every day we played some kind of pickup basketball or a pickup game of touch football. And I remember one day a couple of kids from a local neighborhood came over and they were kind of bullies, older kids, and, and they were not usually around, but they decided to come over and play. So two of these older guys were picking teams for a game of basketball and and uh, it got down toward the end, and, and I was still left to be picked, which is not encouraging, all right? And uh, never was much of a basketball player anyway, but usually one of my buddies would pick me early. Well, I was left standing there, and one of the guys who was picking pointed at me, and he said this. I'll never forget this. He said, I hate that guy right there, but I guess I'm going to have to take him. All right, so as a kid, I remember thinking, I'm not sure if I should be happy or not. I'm chosen. But he hates me, right? And so that's a real confusing moment for me as a kid. And I'm going to tell you, in our text, there's no confusion. This man is a leprosy. He is left out. He is not included at all in anybody's world. If you look at chapter 4 and verse 27, it says, And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha's. Of Elijah and Elisha, but Elisha is what that's referring to. Many lepers in the land. So leprosy was a common problem. It was a big problem in that day. I don't know if you're familiar with leprosy. We'll not spend a lot of time talking about it, but let's just describe it for a moment, shall we? Leprosy was a disease that affected the nerves. So you couldn't feel things. You begin to, to grow numb, which explains a lot of the deformities and the and the dismemberment that you would see in those lepers and why their appearance could be so horrible. They'd be missing fingers and hands and limbs and ears and noses. There's a story, a book written by a man about his experience with leprosy where he describes the loss of his vision because every day he was washing his face with water, but he didn't realize it was scalding water. And so he destroyed his eyes washing his own face. Another commentator described it this way. He said in biblical times it was so severe as to be a threat to all of society. In ancient times, even God said to Israel in Numbers 5-2, He commanded the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper. And David, when he wanted to curse the house of evil Joab, he said the worst thing you could possibly say in 2 Samuel 3-29 David said concerning the house of Joab, let there not fail one from the house of Joab, one that is a leper. It would be like saying to someone today, may all your children have AIDS. That was really some kind of a curse. But a leper was the worst imaginable condition, horribly disfiguring, horribly ugly, pockets worn into your face and your head, clawed limbs worn away, open sores. They were religiously isolated, socially isolated, economically isolated, no family, no job, no friends, no worship. And here's the key, no hope. No hope at all. Nothing that they could begin to do for themselves. 
the law of God, Leviticus 13, verse 45, says, And the leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent, his head bare, and he shall put a covering upon his upper lip and shall cry, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine having to walk around and tell people, don't come near me, I'm unclean? All the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled, he is unclean, he shall dwell alone. Imagine being placed outside the camp. Now let's think about that for a second. Let's imagine what it must be like for a person to begin to become aware of the fact that he has leprosy. Can you imagine that? Imagine he's out in the field, he's working, he's had a hard day, and he comes home, he's washing up for dinner, his wife's preparing the meal, his kids are doing what kids do in that ancient culture, and he's washing his hands, and he sees traces of blood in the water. He realizes that he had ripped his finger to the bone, and he never felt it. Days pass, and weeks pass, and things like that continue to happen. Maybe an ox steps on his foot and breaks bones, and he never feels it. His eyes become dry. His face begins to change its shape. He goes to the priest. He presents himself to the priest, and the priest examines him, and he gets the worst possible news that he has contracted leprosy, and he's put outside the camp. He's separated from his family. You imagine that man coming to his town, coming to his area where his family lived, and hiding somewhere in the distance and watching someone else play with his kids and watching someone else work his farm and watching someone else take care of his family. Can you imagine the hopeless desperation? Now, we can talk about that a lot, but here's what I want you to think about. Here's a man who, on his own, is hopeless. He can do nothing to help himself. If he summoned all of the resources of humanity at that time, if he brought in the wisest, smartest, most capable people in the world, and he gathered up their wisdom, he could do nothing about his leprosy. Not one thing. But yet, this man believed that there was hope in coming to Jesus. So while he himself is hopeless, full of leprosy, there was enough hope in him if he could get to Jesus. Because with Jesus, the hopeless situation becomes hopeful. All right, With Jesus, the desperate situation becomes a situation that is fraught with an explicable potential. That which doesn't have a chance in the world can become something great when we bring it to Jesus. Now, that's the context that we're dealing with. That's what we're talking about with this leper. Now, I want you to consider the context of, our, of the book that we're reading, the book of Luke. The book of Luke was written with this purpose in mind, to prove that Jesus Christ is eternal God in human flesh. The book of Luke is the longest book in the New Testament. It is a wonderful book to go alongside Mar Matthew and Mark. While Mark is for the Jew, Matthew is for the Jew, and Mark is for the servant, Luke comes along, it's written by a physician, and it is written to demonstrate the wonderful humanity of Jesus. So it is a warm and personal book. It is filled with scenes that provoke emotion and feeling and human warmth. It's a great, great, wonderful gospel. So when we read about this, we are seeing Christ in his glory in the flesh demonstrate. We're seeing, that, in other words, God is in the flesh here. Jesus Christ in the flesh 
the God-man, the perfect man, is God. That's the purpose of Luke, and it's showing us that. So it is emphasizing his perfect humanity. We, if, you, if we had time to go through the book of Luke, you would see example after example after example of that. You see the angels testifying to this at his birth. You see Elizabeth and Zacharias, Joseph and Mary, Simeon and Anna. You remember those stories? All of those accounts in the book of Luke are saying Jesus is God in the flesh. Wonderful thing. So now we get to this point in the gospel of Luke. And Jesus is beginning to demonstrate that he has this power over things that you wouldn't ordinarily have power over because he's not an ordinary man. He's God in the flesh. He has power over the demons and power over death and power over disease. He's here to establish an earthly kingdom. He is here to set up the kingdom that has been prophesied for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And he's establishing that he is the Messiah and he's the one. The entrance of this leper into the, the sphere of Christ's attention is fraught with some powerful implications. I want, to, I want you to notice again, and we need to reiterate this again, notice the hopelessness. The Bible says he was full of leprosy. He didn't have a little bit of leprosy. He was full of leprosy. And I want to point something out about sin. We are all sinners. We do not sin. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. You ever heard that? The idea is that it's in our nature to sin. We, man is born dead in his trespasses and sins. He is incapable of good. He's full of sin. Okay? Full of leprosy. Hopelessness. That's why a man can't save himself. You can't keep enough commandments to save yourself. You can't do enough good to save yourself. You can't do enough community projects to save yourself. Okay? Can't do it. Hopelessness. But notice number two, there's humility there. The Bible says, who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him saying, Lord, if thou wilt. Notice he was not presumptuous. We live in a culture, we have preached the love of God and I'm for that, but it's the most well-known and yet misunderstood of all of God's attributes. We have preached his love so much that the sinner is becoming, they, they almost feel entitled to the grace of God. Follow There's a difference. Yes, God loves the sinner, but it's the law of God that breaks the sinner down and shakes him down to dust so that the grace of God can pick him up. And here's a sinner who understood that. Humility is not thinking bad about yourself. Humility is understanding what you are in the face of who he is. That's what it means to be humble. I'm nothing. He's everything. That's what that is. And he saw that. So I'm going to almost contradict myself. We see hopelessness in the story. We see humility in the story. But then again, we see hope. <laughs> he came to him and said, if thou wilt, thou canst. I mean, I wouldn't blame you, Lord, if you didn't do anything for me because I'm not worth a nickel. But I know you can if you will. Yeah. Hey, that's wonderful. Man, when a sinner can come to that place, he's ready to get some help from God. He's ready to feel the touch of God when he gets to that place. You know what I like about this? Notice the Bible says, who seeing Jesus fell on his face. 
Isn't that what we want at church? Isn't that what Temple Baptist Church is supposed to be about? That people will come here and see Jesus? And if we're not careful, they will come here and see nothing but people. They'll see nothing but problems. They'll see nothing but programs. They'll see nothing but all the policies and the don't spark here and don't stand here. And they need to somehow, through all of that, be brought to Christ and see Jesus when they come to Temple Baptist Church. You're the key to that. Now, look, some crybaby's going to leave and say, I preach against parking places, all right? You've got to have order. You've got to have parking places. You've got to have policy. But it's all of your jobs to wade through that and get that sinner and make sure he sees Jesus. See? So with all this in mind, I just want to testify for a few minutes and say I'm glad that he can. I'm glad this morning that he can. I'm so thankful that when all of the hopelessness that Satan and sin can summon against the sinner, that it's no match for the power of God. I'm thankful this morning that he still is able to save to the uttermost. Aren't you glad about that? I'm glad that there is no depth of sin so deep that Jesus cannot reach it and do away with it. I'm glad that there's no hue of sin so dark that Jesus can't wash it white as snow. I'm glad that there's no mountain of guilt so high that Jesus Christ cannot seize it and cast it into the sea of his forgiveness. I'm glad that there's no burden of sin so heavy that Jesus can't lift it and remove it from the weary back of a sinner. I'm glad that there's no problem so complex in its perversity that the grace of God can unwind it and dispel it. I'm thankful for that. I'm glad that he can. He can save. He can save. He can save. I'm glad of that. No sinner here so sinful that Jesus can't save you. Oswald Chambers said it this way. He said, oh, long and dark the stairs I trod. With stumbling feet to find my God, gaining a foothold bit by bit, then slipping back and losing it. Never progressing, though striving still, with a weakening grasp and a faltering will, bleeding to climb to God while he serenely smiled, unnoting me. But then came a certain time when I had loosened my grip and fell thereby down to the lowest step, my fall, as though I had not climbed at all. And while I lay despairing there, I heard a footfall on the stair. In that same place where I dismayed, faltered and fell and lay afraid. And lo, when hope had ceased to be, my God came down the stairs to me. Isn't that good? I'm glad that he came. You know, with a crowd like this in this old messed up world, I can't imagine some of this regret that's in the place. And some of the fear and the bondage. But I'm telling you, he can save you. He can. I'm glad that he can. But I'll tell you something else I'm glad about. I'm glad not only that he can, but that he will. Did you know if the power of God would be much less wonderful 
much less glorious if he was only willing to save a few, wouldn't it? But you know, the Bible says that the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but his long-suffering to us were not willing that he should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know John 3. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Whosoever. I think that means everybody, don't you? I think that means he'll save everybody. He'll save the rich. He'll save the poor. He'll save men of every race. Yes. I'm praying that he'll save Larry Mickle one day. Amen. <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whosoever surely meaneth me, right? It's a, it's a discouraging thing if all you read is for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. It sure helps it to read, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Yeah. Yes, I'm glad he can. And I'm glad he will. I'll tell you something else. I'm, I'm glad he did. <laughs> I'm glad he did. I was a little boy in Little Rock, Arkansas. Oh, years ago, a little fifth grader. I'd heard people talk about salvation, heard people talk about salvation. I'd ask questions, and they'd say, you'll understand when you get older. And I'd listen to preaching, and I'd worry about it at night. And one day I said, you know what? I'm not waiting anymore. I'm getting saved today. Now, somebody's either going to help me, or I'm going to find my own way to God. <laughs> and I'm getting saved today. And he saved me. I remember the spot, the very place I got on my knees in that little Sunday school class and asked Jesus to save me and forgive me for my sins. I've never been the same since then. Yes, I'm glad that he can, and I'm glad that he will, and I'm so glad that he did. You know what else? I'll close with this thought. I'm glad that he does. I'm glad that he's still saving people. You know, 23 years ago when this church gathered there in the Civic Center with 28 people on that very first service in a little small room with some plastic chairs and a weird Bible college guy yelling at them, it just it couldn't have been any weirder. I mean, it just couldn't have been any stranger, such a... a, 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 a almost cards stacked against us in some ways and I remember that morning preaching and one of those guys I met out that week knocking on doors and meeting people inviting people to church he came that morning and he got saved very first service a temple baptist church they've been saved in here ever since amen I'm so thankful that he still saves people we had a friend day over in the Civic Center in 1992, and we had a big goal. of wanted to have 100 people. We had 180-something, 87, 81, 83, I don't know, somewhere like that. And there was 31 people saved, and, man, we were so excited about that day. And I, I, I remember thinking, 31 people. And I did what a lot of people would do, and I, it's not all bad. I suppose the Bible said to examine yourselves, whether you be of the faith, make your calling election sure. And I asked them, I wonder how many of those 31 are really saved. I, I hope those are genuine. I, I, I'd be real happy if just one of them was genuine, right? If just one got saved, it'd be worth all the labor in the world. Well, there was a man that was there that morning that to worked with my dad, and my dad worked for him and with him over the years a couple of different times, and he raised his hand that morning that he'd gotten saved, and that was very exciting, but I kind of had to wonder through the years if he really meant it, you know, if he really got it. When he was on his deathbed, and my dad went to see him and asked him if he had gotten saved. He ever knew the Lord as his Savior, and he said, oh, yeah, man, I got saved over there in the Civic Center when your boy invited us. Yeah. Isn't that a blessing? 
Many years later. I'm glad he still saves. We were meeting in that old white church on Lake On Mountain while we were building that building right down here. Couldn't have met in a worse place. The building was absolutely... I hope the designer of that building's out here this morning. It was terrible. Dark paneling, it stunk. I could preach as loud as I could preach, and you couldn't hear me on the front row. At least it felt like it just fell right off. I preached, I ruined my vocal cords in that building in about six months. And I was preaching there one Sunday morning. I had a cousin come home from the Navy. And he came forward that morning with his wife and prayed at the altar like people would do. I didn't think a lot about it. And I was home that afternoon, sitting in the chair, watching some TV. Glad we weren't working on that building. <laughs> and he called me on the phone and said, hey, man, I just want you to know that I got saved this morning. He pastors the church down in Florida that I pastored for 15 years. He worked for me as a youth director for six, and he's a wonderful servant of the Lord. And his wife got saved down there when they were working for us, and they're a wonderful family. I'm just saying, God saves sinners. Now, I, I know there's probably people sitting in here right now who got saved 20-something years ago when I was pastoring. And the room's filled with people who've been saved here since Brother Malcolm started pastoring. I'm just saying this. I'm, I'm glad he can. I'm glad he will. I'm glad he does. And I'm glad he, I'm glad he did. And I'm glad he still does. Hey, don't get over this. Don't get over this. You got enough cool things happening here every week and all the time to keep you excited and keep you plugged in. But I'm going to tell you something. You got a choir like this, incredible. Musicians like this, incredible. You, you know, there's a lot of churches of musicians that just don't sound like this. <clears throat> right? And a lot, it, we got all this going on. Be careful now. It's not about you coming here and being entertained and feeling good about yourself. It's about you worshiping God, and so that worship will send you out there so that you can have an effect in other people's lives, right? He still saves sinners. Did you bow your heads this morning? Are you sure that you're saved? I mean, if you were to do what you normally do, guys, for the invitation, if you were to die right now this minute, are you sure you'd go to heaven? Man, that's what this is all about. I know there are people here that will help you if you want to know how you can go to heaven. Brother Malcolm's going to come and tell you how to do that. Father, thank you, Lord, for your blessings. Lord, it doesn't get any clearer than that. I'm so glad to know in a hopeless world there is a bright and shining light in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It tells us no matter how bad we are, Lord, you're there to say, what an awesome, awesome truth this morning. Lord, if we're going to do verse of invitation, and if there's someone here that's not saved, I, I know there is. Lord, in a crowd this size, there's surely someone who may have not trusted you as their Savior yet. Maybe they've not given you their life. I pray that today we've got people at this altar all the way across. Ladies for ladies, gentlemen for gentlemen, to be glad to take a bite and show them how they can be saved. Show them how they can find hope like this man.